and welcome to episode 53 of the Rock Podcast. For those about to pod, we salute you. On this episode, Matt and I will be talking about all of the latest news. We have some new releases to discuss with you on New Rock on the Block. The letter I is in A to yeah, Z. Good luck, bro. Good luck with that one. <laughs> yes, the slim pickings of the letter I in the A to Z of Rock. We have some hidden gems. We have some unsung heroes, and here he is. The man with the mic at the other end of the country, Mr. Matt Rogers. How are you, mate? Hello, Brian. Yes, not too bad. And you? You doing all right? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are things? I'm pleased to hear it. We are into the autumn. Yes, indeed. Yeah, another year ticking by. Um, It's nice to be back doing a normal episode. I've missed this format, despite the fact we've done 50-odd episodes. Um... But it was good fun chatting to the uh, guys from uh, the Karma Effect. They Liam were good Ash, fun. Last time yeah. They yeah. were great. They were great. And um, looking forward to it. I'm glad to see them in Leicester in a few weeks, um, which is which is a bit of an impulse purchase, to be honest with you, but uh, looking forward to it all the same. And, um, and to all intents and purposes, they should be listening to this podcast on their tour bus because they mentioned that they, they did. Do you remember Remember in the interview? They did. So we shall see. Yes. We shall, we shall test them. Yeah, we should leave questions in for them and then... Exactly. Stalk them on their messenger and say, which what was the album that we listened to this month? Mm. <laughs> exactly. It's a bit petty though, isn't it, really? I mean, you know. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it was good, good fun. Good fun chatting to them. And we've got some uh, other interviews coming up on later episodes uh, in the coming weeks as well too with... Uh, Skinny Knowledge, who have got a new album that's coming out at the at the end of October. So uh, we'll have the guys on from the show as well too. But Matthew, let's. What's going on? Latest news in the rock world. So, um, at the end of August, uh, as most people are aware, we we sadly lost the great Bernie Marsden. Um, who everyone will know is uh, one, of the, one of the original guitarists in Whitesnake and spent time with UFO and, and was one of the great um, British blues guitarists of the last 40 years. So it's a sad loss. And um, it's emerged that he's got a new album, a posthumous album coming out later this year called Working Man. Um, it's, it's coming out fairly soon, actually. And one of the songs on the album is called Steelhouse Mountain. Now, Bernie had uh, quite an affinity with Steelhouse, Steelhouse Festival, we talked about a few times. Yeah. And uh, I saw I saw him there back in 2014 doing some Whitesnake, uh, Whitesnake stuff. Um, I think we, we might have seen him there a few years ago as well. Two years ago. Um, yeah, two years yeah. ago he did a, um, he did a, he did a Whitesnake show with um, the great singer from, Skin, Neville. That's right. Neville was front row. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, because of that special relationship, um, Steelhouse 2024 uh, will honour Bernie, uh, calling the opening night of the festival Bernie Fest. That's really like nice. nice. Yeah, bless him. And he was so lovely. I remember reading his book a few years ago, and uh, I think everyone should try and read it. It's, uh, it's a really good read. Charts is... Um, as I say, his history through the various bands he's been in, Pace Ashton, Pace Ashton and Lord and Babe Ruth and White Snake and UFO, of course, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it's called Where's My Guitar? And it's it's well worth a read. I think you've got, I think you've got a signed copy, haven't you, Brian? I, what you were telling me last time. Yeah. I, in fact, I've got two copies of it, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I've got a signed copy from Bernie. Um do you remember when, uh, and, and bands still do it, where you've got Kickstarter campaigns where people can play, mm. pledge money and you get credited in the first edition. So I, I pledged money to the to the book, so I'm credited in the first edition of the wow. of the book. Obviously credited as just somebody who's paid him some money, not as a very average guitarist who had any meaning in Bernie's life. No, it's still nice though, isn't it? It is, um, yeah. But yeah, we sadly missed the great Bernie Marsden. So, what do you got, Brian? News-wise. So, for me, <laughs> so we mentioned it, Matt, a few episodes ago that uh, 
that Black Sabbath were going to be involved in a ballet. And this Hmm. week, we had Black Sabbath the ballet at the Birmingham Hippodrome, and Tony turned up. Tony Iommi was there. He played along with the the house band, played Paranoid, and he brought along some of his uh, showbiz pals and friends. Sharon Osbourne was there. I think Geezer Butler was there as well too. So finally, um, the Royal Ballet has merged with Black Sabbath. And I was reading as well too that 60% of the tickets that have been sold are people who have never, ever been to a ballet before. That is surprising. Isn't it? Not. It's great. Not at all. Not at all. I think it's all it's all Sabbath fans, isn't it? Um <laughs> it, yeah, we talked I mean we talked about it. It's a strange mix. Black Sabbath and I suppose anything's possible these days. Black Sabbath the ballet. Yeah. Six songs from um the Black the Black Sabbath catalogue, including you say Paranoid and Iron Man and War Pigs. Can't, I can't really visualise anyone dancing to war pigs, let alone doing ballet. But anyway, uh, and you're right, <laughs> Beth Bevan was there from ELO and Sir Robert of Plant was there, gracing yeah. the red carpet. Absolutely. So, yeah. But it'll be coming down well, your neck of the woods, though. Uh, look, f- for once, for mm-hmm. once, uh, it, it'll be heading down, uh, I think it's heading down uh, mid-October down to the Theatre Royal in Plymouth. And then it ends right. up in Sadler's Wells in London. Okay, um, I'm 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 still not tempted, Brian, <laughs> frankly. With all, with all due respect to people that like ballet, I mean, you know, three hours of ballet for six Sabbath songs, but I'm sure it's for those who like ballet. I'm sure it's quite a spectacle. <laughs> um, in um, in other news, Brian. Yes. So, um, Mick Jagger, Sir Mick Jagger, we talked about him earlier, well, a few weeks ago, rather. He just turned 80, didn't he? Bless him. He's come out with an interesting statement. Now, he has said that he is considering, that's the operative word, he's considering um, leaving his uh, Rolling Stones back catalogue to charity instead of to his children. Now, Mick Jagger has got eight children. It's quite a lot, isn't it? Mm. Um the oldest being Karis, who's fifty-two, and the youngest is someone is a is called Devereaux, who's six. Um, so rather than leave a potential five hundred million pounds to his children, he is considering considering. I think now he's said it, he's got to actually do it, hasn't he? Really, you know. I mean. It's, well, so did you give the five hundred million dollars to charity, Mick? No, I, I decided not to. In the end, I changed my changed my will, giving it to the kids. Um, but he uh, he did say that about his own children that you don't need five hundred million dollars to live on. Come on, explain that he'd rather give it to charity. You maybe do some good in the world. I mean, he will with that sort of money. That's amazing. But we shall see how that plays out. And it's a very different approach that Neil Young... 500 million. I, I know, I know. Uh, but it, but it's a stark contrast to Neil Young's approach where where, where Neil Young sold his back catalogue for, for a meagre $150 million. And mm. he was going, well, I've worked for it. I've written all of it. Um, I'm going to sell it for 150 million, and I'm going to enjoy it for the time that I've left on this planet. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labour. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's fair enough. But, I, mean, I, I, I don't know how you would actually spend 100 and whatever it was, 50 million dollars. I mean, yeah. you know, once you bought a yacht and some nice houses and yeah. another yacht, maybe, and yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But we shall see. We shall indeed. One. But but some somebody who is in that uh, elder statesman bracket, maybe we have Mr. Getty Lee, who will be coming across to our shores in December, Matthew, which we're all very, yes. very excited about when we heard that Getty Lee was coming across to tour the UK, only to be somewhat dented in our enthusiasm. It's a spoken word tour. Mm. So he is... Mm. He's releasing his um, his memoir, which is My Effing Life. It, and it yes. is actually My Effing Life, not a mm. swear word. 
Mm. It's coming out on November 14th. And for those people who are lucky, who have been lucky enough to secure a ticket to uh, to go and see him, you get a copy of the book thrown in with your ticket as well, too. So uh, I know you and I, um, with our pal Matt, mm. uh we went to we went to Rushcon in Glasgow. This yes. is th- this this was one I was not going to miss because some of the questions we were that were being uh, thrown at Terry Brown and Hugh Syme, the uh, mm. um, the artist. I can't imagine some of the Q and A that's going to be coming at Getty Lee, but that'll be exciting to 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 see and hear Getty because anytime they've been interviewed, Russia are so. Ah, oh, they're they're just so they're just so great to listen to the stories that they tell. So, yeah, yeah, looking forward well, to that. Yeah, okay, you can stop now because basically, listeners, <laughs> Brian managed to get a ticket for Glasgow, and I didn't get a ticket for London. So he's wittering on about how much we are all enjoying it and looking forward to it and enjoying the prospect and all the rest of it. And I shall be at home drinking a cup of cocoa more than likely. Reading the autobiography, possibly. I wonder whether you get a signed version of the autobiography. That'd be nice. I mean, that would be a nice memento. I'm just looking at your book. Considering the yeah. price of tickets, Matthew, I'd be expecting it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, enjoy that, Brian. You can I will do. I, I'll it. report back on the podcast as well, too. Mm, please do. On the old Christmas, <laughs> Christmas episode. Right. And uh, something else in the news um, this week, Matt, which was... And we've always talked on the show about uh, everybody going out and um, supporting local grassroots venues. There's um, um, there's a trust called the Music Venues Trust, and they they uh, they've issued a open letter to the British government asking them to extend um, uh, business rates relief for music venues. Mm. Um, in the last twelve months alone. We've lost in the UK 15% of our grassroots venues uh, in the UK. Now, 15% doesn't sound a, you know, a, a big number, but that's 125 venues. So when you look at the amount of venues across the UK where, which are being closed just for, what, for probably a myriad of reasons, it just struck me that, you know, you and I go to gigs and a lot of our listeners go to gigs as well too. I think now is the time where particularly when Live Nation, there's a lot of, you know, Live Nation have now decided to cut their um, their merchandising, um, uh, the percentages that they were taking at venues as well too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think now is the time if anybody's, you know, thinking about, I oh, fancy going to a gig, etc. Get out and support your local venues because mm. it's an, at an alarming rate of fifteen percent in the last twelve months. And some of the beloved venues that we that we, you know, I Bannermans are some mm. great venues, and so many London, Glasgow, Manchester. Yeah, we've got to get out there and support our our local venues, or we will lose them. Use them or lose yeah. them, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, and and you know. These small venues, by their very nature, quite often have up-and-coming bands. And it doesn't cost them, but it supports them, as you say, supports the venue. And probably equally as importantly, it keeps it keeps music alive. Because without venues, where will people play? Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, well said. Mm. And let's hope the, uh, the lobbying of the British government, you know, has some effect. You never know. You never know. Yeah. On a lighter note, and finally, Alice Cooper, who is a mere 75, so he's quite young compared to Mick Jagger. So he is, um, he's finished his show, Nights with Alice Cooper, uh, which is a shame because that was a good show, um, started back in 2004. Um, and if you ever listen to Planet Rock late at night, you would hear Nights with Alice Cooper. So sadly, that's, that's, that's no longer uh, on the radio. But Alice himself has said that he will continue until he's 90. I'm not sure why specifically 90, but um, he is going to continue performing until he's 90, um, which uh, which is good for Alice Cooper fans. He's great live, by the way. 
uh, if you ever get a chance to see him. Um, he says he hopes to stay fit and um, he'll carry on performing. And he blames, well, not blames, he <laughs> takes inspiration from Mick Jagger. Now, that's an interesting statement. And in a way, I also blame Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones for the fact that bands just go on and on and on now. And that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, back in the day, if a musician got to 40, let's say, you think, no, I'm not going to see them. They're far too old. So I'm going to watch my granddad play. I remember going to see Whitesnake in 1981, and John Lord at that time was 30, 39. And I was only 15 or so, and I, and I was 16. And I thought, but gee, that's so old. Yeah. Look at him, he's ancient, 39. Whereas now, of course, thanks to the Stones, have been going for 60, 60 odd years. Um, everyone's going, going on and on forever. Of course, they do retire. We've had various bands retiring and farewell tours and all the rest of it. But um, I can see where Alice Cooper's coming from because, you know, they are inspirational, the Stones. And when you look at Mick Jagger and even listen to him, we'll come on to the new single, Angry, uh, in a little while. But when you see Jagger and they do the rest of the Stones, they're still going strong, even in their, you know, twilight years as it were and he was inter- he was interviewed recently by by the bbc <laughs> whilst mm. he was on uh, whilst he was um um they were just promoting the new album and mm. uh the interviewer said um my my parents and my grandparents are big fans <laughs> mm. And and Mick Jagger, you know, smiled and and went. That's really lovely to hear that so many generations of your families are fans of the band. Uh, bearing in mind when he thought about his own parents and his own grandparents and the types of music that they listened to, he thought mm-hmm. that was, you know, it was very very. When he compared his generation and what they listened to and what his grandparents would listen to, he thought that was very very sweet. So. Uh, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about the stones later on. But yeah, good luck. Good luck to Alice. Yeah, at least at least he's not doing the. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna retire next year. Ooh, ooh, mm. oh, I'm gonna unretire. And that's right. <laughs> a farewell tour that never ends. Yes. And tickets are twice as much as usual because of the farewell tour. Um, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. No, he's great. He's great, Alice Cooper. And and long may he continue. Bless him. So, talking about somebody who is absolutely great, let's, Matthew, get into New Rock on the Block Mm. with the wonderful Paul Rogers. Yes. From Free Bad Company and Queen Plus. Paul Rogers and The Firm. I always leave off The Firm. He has yep. a new album called Midnight Rose, Matthew. What did you think mm. of it? Well, <laughs> I, I seem to recall you and I having a conversation about it and you being fairly disparaging. So when I listened to it, I was I was expecting the worst, <laughs> if I'm honest. But I was um I was pleasantly surprised. It's it's slightly eclectic, let's say, in that the opening couple of songs uh coming home and photo sh- photo shooter yes strange name for a song <laughs> isn't it or um I, I would say would fit nicely in the um the bad company kind of catalog as it were um living it up is an interesting one it's sort of autobiographical there's that old adage about right about what you know and this song living it up essentially is kind of as I say Paul Rogers' life story about his influences and where he lives and how much he likes America and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, another one with a strange name is Highway Robber, uh, which is not surprisingly about highway people <laughs> or highway men, women. Um, but on the whole, I quite liked it. The weak spot is the title song, I think, Midnight Rose, which I didn't really uh, gel with. But I think the whole album is worth listening to. And his voice is just, it's still incredible. In his mid seventies now, and he just sounds so good, and the production's great, and the musicianship's good. So, I would say, on the whole, uh, combining the kind of bad company with a sort of Americana type vibe towards the end of the album, 
it's a, it's a good solid album. My only my only criticism is only is it's only thirty two minutes. Yeah, it's just, I think I think back tracks. in the day we would have called a mini album. Um, but uh, apart from that, it's it's, it's not bad. What about you, bro? What do you think? Ooh, ooh. So, Paul Rogers. <laughs> this comes with a disclaimer. Paul Rogers mm. is my teacher, and he's everybody's. Anybody you speak to, David Coverdale, you speak to, you know, Brian May and Roger Taylor. <laughs> they they wanted to do more free and bad company. Um, whenever they got together, they were massive. So mm. Paul Rogers to me is just one of the. He's one of the originals. It's kind of you know he's up him and Planty are, you know they, they wrote yep. they wrote the template. So um, for me, it's a very his voice is it's like a fine wine. It's just it's effortless, and so it's quite soulful. And and you 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 talk about the Americana and the kind of some of it's a little bit country. It's quite yeah. jingly jangly. Um, but what I miss in in uh, in the vocal uh, is the grit. It's all soul and no grit. And Paul Rogers has got one of the when you listen to particularly his material with Free, you had that grit in his voice that was just so emotive, and it just wasn't emotive. It was quite clean. It was the production's amazing, but it's all mm. smooth and solely. And I just missed. I missed the grit of Paul's voice. Now he's, as you say, and he's in his early seventies now, and that's he doesn't want to be doing that gritty stuff. But that's what I miss because I, I know what is back. You know, when you listen to his back catalogue, you listen to Wishing Well, All Right Now, Fire and Water. You know, as a 16, 17 year old, we were going at his age. What an amazing vocal! And he, it just feels like he's he's saving his voice, and he's not pushing it and that's that's my that's my only criticism of the album he's it's worse like bob rock bob rock produces it um mm. randy staub mixed it and they're the dream team who did the black album for metallica keith scott from brian adams's band plays the lead guitar on it so it's it's a really it's a nice safe album um the the track i i really liked you talk about uh, living it up um, and it is very, it's autobiographical, but it's American. But it just so reminded me of Burning Sky. I, I, there were so many tracks mm. where I heard Paul singing. I was just hearing, you know, the title track. I, I was hearing Burning Sky in, in uh, Living It Up. In Midnight Rose, I was getting a little bit of Seagull. And yeah. 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 It, it, so I'm, it wasn't far enough away from his previous uh, back catalogue, but... Haven't listened to it a couple of times. It's not bad. I, I'd maybe mm. give it seven out of ten, Matt, because mm. we've only found out recently. You know, it's a bit like the Nico McBrien situation, where you know Nico's uh, soldiered on through the tour and had and and we didn't know that he'd had a stroke. Paul Rogers yeah. has had his own um, health issues over the last few years, so the fact that he and I think at one point he he wasn't able to speak. The fact that we're getting new material from Paul Rogers, first time in nearly 25 years, and he's mm. sounding so good. It's just lovely, lovely to hear. So, uh, yeah. Won't make album of the year, Matt, but it was nice to hear some new mm. tunes from Paul. Yeah, indeed. So um, that brings us on to the second album to be reviewed and discussed and critiqued is uh, an album called City Lights. By Philip Seth Campbell. Um, he's now calling himself Philip Seth Campbell as opposed to Phil Campbell uh, to distinguish himself from Phil Campbell of Phil Campbell and the, his bastard sons, okay. and of course Phil Campbell is in Motet. And this is Phil Campbell that used to be in the Temperance Movement. And um, his new album is called City Lights. What did you think of it, Brian? I absolutely loved it, Matt. And I know you're a massive fan of the Temperance Movement. I I liked mm. them. I, I wasn't a I wasn't a massive fan. I, I loved their loved their debut album. This album is soulful, well written, diverse, 
what what we were what I was talking about about Paul Rogers grit not being in not being in his new album Phil Campbell has it he's such an emotive expressive singer um there's there's oh my goodness uh tracks like uh the the title track itself he goes he's starting to sound his music's very lyrically like Springsteen but the music's mm. very Stevie Wonder even Isaac Hayes funky in bits yeah, and, and yeah. you know I, I I was getting again the Americana and we've talked about the band and Robbie Robertson but there is a lovely sort of that eclectic feel to it and then you move then then he moves into areas where particularly the leadoff track uh Magical West where it's quite modern quite upbeat I'm getting you know even flavors of the killers and Kings of Leon and even Coldplay. So mm-hmm. um, I, I had no expectations of the album and I just thought, I thought it was fabulous. I loved it. I really did. I've listened to it a few times. I'm, I've got tickets to go and see him in a couple of weeks. Okay. So, yeah. Fabulous. What about you? I know you're, you're a fan of Phil. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, great singer. And um as you said, this is the, well. This is this is in a way similar but different to the Temperance Movement. Clearly, it's him and his lyrical style and his phrasing. But the instrumentally, as you say, there's there's far more, more kind of R and B kind of soul vibe to it. Um, some rocky songs on there as well. Uh, if you if you are a kind of died in the wool Temperance Movement fan, and you're after a you know kind of a, a fix of that type of music. Um, but they were never really like heavy rock, particularly. They were more sort of, you know, bluesy soul, um, and had their sort of more kind of um, relaxed moments, as it were. Um, but yeah, it is a good album. Uh, again, some autobiographical songs on here. At least you can kind of get a sense of them. He's had his he's had his demons over the last few years. Um, Bill Campbell, and um, hopefully he's resolved things now. I, I saw the last gig he did with um, the Tempest Movement at Planet Rock thing, and um, it was it was it was a bit of a train wreck. But hopefully, you know, he's got his act together, and and this is the start of a you know really successful solo career. But yeah, good album, well worth checking out. I just said got some highlights. Magical West is good. Revelations good. Um, Sober Boy again. Yeah, you can read read into that what you will. But yeah, all in all. Really, really, really strong album. Different. Um, if you're expecting Temperance Movement, as I say, uh, it's kind of Temperance Movement where they replace the guitars with with kind of a, a horn section, as it were. Um, but well worth a listen. So, yeah, all in all, a good album. Well worth checking out. And go and see so, him. Go and see him. He's on tour. Uh, he's on tour during October. Um, yeah. Um, I'm, if he's... I'm sure he's put a great band behind him. He's playing some lovely venues around the country. So go go get the album and go see him on tour. Yeah, well said. So um, finally, some singles to talk about. We talked about the Stones earlier. They've got lead-off single from the forthcoming album Hackney Diamonds, uh, a song called Angry. Now, thoughts on that, Brian? It's a complete departure. It's You wouldn't... <laughs> Absolutely. You never think it was a stone song, would you? <laughs> Apart from the fact the drum the drumming is it, it's clearly not Charlie Watts anymore, sadly, passed away a few years ago. Yeah. The drumming there's a drum intro which sounds a bit I don't know, it sounds a bit strange. I'm not sure I like that bit. But the rest of the songs, uh I mean you say it's fairly sort of straightforward stones. Probably took about ten minutes to write. Um and I mean, no wonder, as, as I was listening to it today, no wonder the Stones are so covered by pub bands is because basically they only use about three or four chords <laughs> in pretty much every song. And this is a case in point, but it's, it's, it's still a good song. What did you think of it, Brian? I thought it was, I, um, I, I, th- I thought it was, uh, it was quite interesting that uh, of, of late, whenever the Rolling Stones um have put out new singles 
Uh, they had a single out many, many years ago, many years ago, which was doom and gloom. You know, they were, they were, yeah, we're, we're going yeah. to talk about the state of the world. And here they are coming back with their first single in, you know, however many years and, and they're angry. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's but, true. But uh, yeah, and, and I think what's, what's going to be, whenever the album comes out, you know, uh, the fact that, um, you know, Bill Wyman's going to come back and play. A, uh, he's playing on the album. Um, right? Yeah, Bill Bill Wyman's, uh, he's come back and played on a track. And Paul McCartney plays bass with them. So Paul McCartney wow. is Paul McCartney is has joined the Stones for us. So it's just y- y- you've just kind of got to enjoy these. And I would say now, Matt, uh, odds on next summer at at one of the Hyde Park dates, we will uh, we, we we will have <clears throat> we'll have the Rolling Stones, which will be ten years since I saw them at Hyde Park. <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. So. Uh, the, at the other end of the uh, musical spectrum, Matt, and a band mm. that interestingly was formed <laughs> like the Karma Effect uh, out of uh, lockdown was King Herd from uh, Birmingham, and they've uh, they've got a new uh, single out, new album out. Um, fabulous! What mm. did you think? Yeah, I loved it. New single's called "Like It Used to Be." Um, and it's great. It's very, it's got a great melody. It's, it's a good, solid contemporary rock song. Great singing, uh, four piece band. We've seen them actually, uh, yep. I think last year at, at Steelhouse. Um, I think they deserve to, to be massive. Um, cause the quality of the, of the playing, the quality of the, the songs is great. We talked, um, a few months ago now, uh, or in fact last year, about a couple of their songs, um, Halo and, and and Medicine, which came out last year. Um, this is from their new album, which is actually out. It's called King Herd. And uh, I think we should talk about it yeah. on the next episode, Bri. Yeah, we'll um, do that. Because it's, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. As I say, they deserve to be big. Let's hope the album is 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 good and it propels them to the next level. But uh, for now, check out uh, Like It Used To Be by The Great King Herd. I'm going to finish off, finally, mm. with the lady who I think... I know Dolly Parton has put her hat in the ring now to be the first lady of, of rock, but mm. to me, the first lady of rock is and will always be Anne Wilson. And she has a new single and a new album out uh, her lead off single is called this is now um Matt, i couldn't believe i i just the beetle tinged production mm. Anne's vocal it was just I, I was blown blown away knocked out by just the song writing the production and just Anne's vocal as usual you know um uh, fabulous yeah yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's only four minutes long, but it's an epic song. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if the album is anything to go by, this is another one, another album that's going to be uh, up there. Um, yeah, I mean, her voice is just still fantastic. Um, as you say, the production's good. Um, the melody's great. It's just, uh, as I say, it's, it's a... Four-minute epic. Absolutely brilliant. This is now by Anne Wilson. Yeah. Anne Wilson, of course, the uh, the singer of heart, in case you're wondering um, who we're talking about. That's amazing. And That's we live in hope that um, she's actually touring in the US at the moment um, with her with her new band um, through October um, this year. So fingers crossed at one of the many mm. festivals. <laughs> mm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Anne uh, come across um, and maybe do maybe do one of the shows next year. It'd be lovely to see her somewhere like Made of Stone, but I could probably see her maybe as maybe at the Hyde Park Festival supporting you know mm. one of the bigger acts, you know that kind of Stevie Nicks second yeah. in the bill to to somebody. But 
It's a great That's album. Great, great album. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, Brian, that brings us to letter I in the A to Z of rock. This will be long then. <laughs> it's not a very fruitful letter, is it? Let's face it. However, we couldn't start anywhere else apart from with the mighty Iron Maiden. I think that's their official name now, the mighty Iron Maiden. Whenever you hear them talked about, they're called the mighty Iron Maiden. Uh, Iron Maiden were formed in 1975. Wow. I think it was New Year's Eve or Christmas Day or something like that. Yeah, by um by Steve Harris. He's the only original member. Um so they've been going a very long time. Come on, that's their 50th anniversary in a couple of years. Um and they have sold globally more more albums than you can shake a stick at. 130 <laughs> million copies of their albums worldwide. Which is just phenomenal. Um I first uh, heard them back in 1979 on a Friday Rock Show session with the great Tommy Vance. And I was pretty much hooked from then onwards. I told you the story about buying the legendary Soundhouse Tapes single, uh, which is now worth a few thousand pounds. Uh, However, my sister very kindly took it to a party and wrote her name on it uh, and then lost it. So that's the end of that. Um, but, but not that you hold album, a grudge or are better in any way. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all. I'm not at all. It's all water under the bridge, right? Um, they've released 41 albums. I'm not surprised, actually. Um, 41 albums, 17 studio albums, from the self-titled first album to the most recent excellent Shinjutsu. Um, 13 live albums. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And hundreds of CDs and videos and DVDs and everything. Um, you like a bit of Maiden, don't you, Bray? I do. I do. I lo- my my introduction into Iron, Iron Maiden was, of course, Number of the Beast, mm. uh, to which it was whipped off my turntable very quickly by my dad mm. <laughs> when he heard the dulcet tones at the beginning of uh, Number of the Beast. <laughs> so- is that literally what happened? Yeah. He came up to your bedroom. Yep. Knocked on the didn't even knock on the door. Opened the door. Yeah. Came in, took a scratch. Oh, he never scratched it. He would no, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have scratched it. He was he was he, he liked his own records and he appreciated vinyl. So he wouldn't mm. have he wouldn't have scratched it. But uh, and and I actually had borrowed it from a friend of mine. He let he lent oh, okay. me he lent me three albums. He lent me his Number of the Beast. Um he lent me his for those about to rock and back in black. He lent me those three albums. Hmm. I can conf- I can neither confirm or deny if I stuck a a cassette in and recorded any of those hmm. albums because we wouldn't do that because that's that's illegal. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah that was my introduction to Iron Maiden. <laughs> you go, you gave the albums back though. I did. Oh yes. If you get a chance to see them live, they're amazing. They go from strength to strength. I remember seeing them, as I said many times, my first ever gig uh, was I made in, at the University of East Anglia on the Killers Tour. And in those days, Eddie uh, was was basically, uh, well, several of the roadies with a, with, a, with a kind of rubber mask on. And Eddie's obviously, as we discussed under letter E a few episodes ago, uh, Eddie has moved on to being one of, you know, an iconic symbol of, of music, essentially. Um, so that's Iron Maiden. That's the best place to start when it comes to I, isn't it, Brian? It is. What it is. Um, yeah, and and um, one of my favourite bands that uh, probably wouldn't be as heavy as uh, Iron Maiden, but within the they kind of carved out a little in the mid eighties. They carved out a little niche of let's call it pop prog. Mm. Pop Prog, which was the fabulous It Bites. So It, mm. it Bites um, kind of put Cumbria and Egremont on the map. Um, they're probably best known for the 1986 single Calling All the Heroes, um, which yeah. went top 10, um, which wasn't really a representation of of their material at all. If, you know, you buy, mm. you, it's one of those classic cases of you buy their first album, Big Lad in the Windmill, and you buy it for the single, and then 
then you find out it's produced by you know the guy who was in Camel or you know it's 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 mm. got Steve Hillage produced it and it's got prog all over it. Um, right. Fabulous band. Um, uh, Frank Dunnery has got his own. Um, he's got his own version of it. Bites that that tour um, pretty much every year. Uh, he's coming back next year. Plays all of the old material. Um, we've talked about the band in the show. It it bites. They're one of those could have, would have, should have, could have been absolutely um, massive, but just mm. didn't get the breaks. And and after. Eat Me in St. Louis, when the original band um, split up and when Francis left the band, they just lost their impetus, um, which is a shame because they were a fantastic band. I loved that Bites. Yes, you've mentioned them many times, Brian. <laughs> that brings us to um, William Broad. Who's he? I hear you ask. Billy Idol. Yay! Now, Billy Idol... Interestingly, he's called Billy Idol because his uh, this is not the first child to be called Idol by a school teacher, of course. But his uh, his school teachers used to call him Idol, as in and then Billy Idol. So that's where that came from. Obviously, changed the spelling, but uh, yeah, Billy Idol. Um, I remember him first from a band called Generation X, a sort of uh, punky band from uh, the late seventies. Um, who had a hit with a uh, pretty good song, actually, called King Rocker. Um, but his career really took off with um, the album Rebel Yell in 1983. And he was really kind of made for the MTV generation. Oh, wasn't, wasn't he, he just? Good. Uh, the songs are pretty good, Rebel Yell and uh, White Wedding and Eyes Without a Face and so on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the great Billy Idol come a long way since... Um, since obviously you know the days of the days of Generation X and growing up in Stanmore in Middlesex, the end of the uh, Jubilee line. Um, so there you go, Billy Idol. Always had some fantastic musicians around as well too. You, mm-hmm. I, you can't think of I, I, I can't think of Billy Idol without thinking about Steve Stevens, yeah. um, who was in his band in the in the early eighties, and as you say. I don't think there was any cover. I don't think there was any cover band, or if you were putting your first bands together, it's it was it was in this your staple uh, mm-hmm. cover set was either a version of Rebel Yell or White, White Wedding. Wedding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's uh, you're contractually obliged, aren't you, to do those gig their songs in pub gigs. Um, so that's Billy Idol, uh, the great Billy Idol. Who else you got for us, Brian? Um, I have. This is a band who I. Well, this is a band who in the kind of late late nineties, early two thousands, um, had we had that period sort of post grunge, um, mm. a, a great great band called Incubus. So Incubus, mm-hmm. American rock band. And they were formed in um, in the early nineties. They had a oh, massive um, album in two thousand and one called Morning View, which mm-hmm. which their um, the big single off that was Wish You Were Here, which yeah. for those of us who were massive Pink Floyd fans went, I'll go and have a listen to this tune, and uh, it wasn't a cover of the Pink Floyd tune. It was their own no. tune called Wish You Were Here. They were they were one of they were one of the bands where what I liked about them, Matt, was you know the way you get drawn to producers? You know, we've mm. talked about the the late great Martin Birch. Yeah. Um and, and it was like if Martin Birch was producing an album, you kinda went, Oh, that must be a good band, I'll go and listen to them. So Brendan O'Brien um was a, a producer for Incubus, um, did Morning View and and you know, Brendan Bryan is synonymous with Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, uh, King's X, but really, really great band. And what I liked about that sort of early 2000s feel, you know, that sort of um, nice laid back rock, Mm. they were very, very musical, but they also had, 
they were kind of like a melodic version of Limp Biscuit, where they had yeah. they had somebody who played turntables in the band, mm. but it actually fitted in nicely with the with the musical references for Incubus. Whereas Limp, Limp Biscuit were a bit too rappy for me. That was more rap metal. But an mm. interesting band. I would I'd recommend everybody check out Incubus. Uh, Morning View. Maybe we'll stick a couple of tracks on the playlist. Yeah, we'll set, we will. We'll definitely definitely put a song called Drive. Yes. On the, um, which is a great song. Again, not a cover of this, the Cars song, everyone. <laughs> we get too excited. But a great song in its own right. Yeah, great band in Caboose. I know you're a huge fan. Um, that brings us on to, I can't, I can't not mention the godfather of metal. I think I've mentioned them a few hundred times on the old podcast. It's uh, the great Tony Iommi. Um, yes, Tony Iommi. I mean, what else can you say about him? He's gone from cutting his tops of his fingers off in Aston in the late 60s to doing a ballet and being part of the performance, as we touched upon earlier. So, um, yeah, I think I think the rock and metal world would be a different place if uh, Tony hadn't cut his fingers off, because obviously that uh, changed his guitar tone and essentially kind of led him to invent uh, heavy metal. So the great Tony Tony Iommi, well worth a mention. And of course, his book um, is called Iron Man. Yes, which is well, again, well worth well worth a read. It does deal with the ups and downs of um, as we touched upon in the context of Geezer Butler, the ups and downs of being in a in a mega selling multi million grossing rock band in the seventies with no rules and mountains of drugs to get through. So uh, check that out. <laughs> Uh, Iron Man by um, the great Tony Iommi. And the final one for me, Matt, when Mm. when we were thinking of, um, uh, you know, the A to Z of rock. um, And as you've mentioned many, many times before, uh, the the mediocre average guitarist that I am. um, Mm. But but one of the things that I don't do in gigs is do any instrumentals. So it got mm. me thinking about some of the, you know, in, in rock, you know, some of the great, great guitar players um, and people who've carved out a career as, you know, instrumental guitarist, be it, you know, Joe Satriani with, oh gosh, anything, <laughs> you take anything off surfing with the alien. You, you, you've got Steve Vai when he was doing double duties with White Snake, and he was also, um, uh, promoting Passion and Warfare, which has got the gorgeous ballad uh, For the Love of God. You've got Ingwie Malmsteen, who basically uh, plays notes that nobody else can. Mm. And then you finish it off with probably the guitarist, guitarist who, um, uh, who a wonderful tribute was paid to Jeff Beck at the Crossroads Festival this year, which is Eric Clapton's um, charitable event where Joe Bonamassa brought out John McLaughlin and and they both played a version of Cause We Ended As Lovers, which is the Stevie Wonder track, which mm. if you just listen to Jeff Beck's guitar playing in that, it's just sublime. So instrumentals, Matthew. Mm. But That's I'm sure show. you've got some. Yeah, a couple, actually. I mean, some of the classics, Jessica... By the Allman Brothers, of course. Albatross by Oh yeah, Fleetwood uh, Mac. Uh, you mentioned obviously the the likes of Joe Satch and Steve Vai, who are synonymous with um, with uh, instrumentals. I've got to add uh, Bourree by Jethro Tull, which I absolutely love from the from the live album Bursting Out. Um, why Why Z by Rush, of course. I mentioned them a few hundred times on the podcast, and of course Lavilia Strangiato by same band um yeah i mean amazing amazing i i i'm a great fan of instrumentals um you know anything from you know a simple one like black mountain side by by led zepp to something a bit more complex like like moby dick by led zepp let's yeah. say, which essentially is john bonham's kind of masterpiece um and uh yeah long may they continue i think you're a dying art you don't really hear too many instrumentals on you know rival sons or or um Blackstone Cherry albums these days, whereas you know back in the day you'd, you'd almost expect one to be sort of dropped in 
you know, as a kind of a, dare I say, a filler, but uh, essentially an opportunity for the singer to, you know, have a, have a rest and not have to make up any lyrics and the band to just kind of show their musicianship. So, yes, good shout, good shout, instrumentals. Good place to, uh, good place to end, Brian. But notice, notable mentions, I think we should say Ireland, of course, the country of Ireland, uh, as opposed to Ireland Records, of course, we should also mention them. Um, country of Ireland has spawned an amazing catalogue of, of fantastic artists from Sinead O'Connor to Rory to Thin Lizzy. And you like them, don't you, Thin Lizzy? I uh, they, they, they come across my turntable now and again. Mm, mm. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, in excess. Oh. Um, how can we overlook great in excess? Um, but again, one of those bands that was sort of synonymous with the with the mid nineties. So, um, anything else to add, Brian? No, I think we. One? I think for starting off with a slim pickings, we've done all right mm. for ice. Indeed, I couldn't agree more. Mm. So, Brian, that brings us to everyone's favourite part of the podcast. At least it was last time I looked. Hidden Jim's eyes. Thank you, Lola. Sounding good as always. So, Brian, what you got for us this time? I am going for... And this will also be connected to my unsung hero as well too, young man. But okay. later. So my hidden gem is the fourth solo album from Mr. Pete Townsend. It's a brilliant album... And I'll tell you the reason why uh, it it land it came back across my radar in the last few weeks. It's mm. a it's a studio album called White City from Pete Townsend. Um, he recorded it in 1985. It was produced by Chris Thomas, who, mm-hmm. from a connections point of view, um, had uh, was involved with NXS. Uh, Chris produced. Uh, uh, um, some of NXS's material. It wasn't a particularly commercially... I don't think any of Pete Townsend's albums reached the commercial peaks of The Who, but when you look at the... Um, forgive the pun, the who's who of who mm. played on the album, you had you had Tony Butler and Pino Palandino on bass. You had Mike Brzezicki from Big Country... You had a drummer who I'll talk about later, and Mr. I'll I'll hold him back. Another famous mm-hmm. drummer, Clem Burke from um, uh, from Blondie. But the tour de force on this album is the wonderful David Gilmore. So having David Gilmore and Pete Townsend, they they actually toured this and and played shows with this. And the opening track is worth the fee itself, Matt. It's. The opening track on this album, which we will put on the playlist, it's called Give Blood. It is amazing. It is just, it's got that, uh, it's got that lovely echo-affected Dave Gilmore sort of repeated phrase. And then Simon Phillips goes absolutely bananas on the drums. The production's fabulous. Um, yeah, but there's other tracks on it. Face the Face is, is one, is a track that... Actually, The Who played live as well, too. So there's just a couple of tracks which which uh, really just um, maintained Pete Townsend's brilliant songwriting. And when you hear the singing and the rough, it, it's a really hard, punchy album. Uh, yeah, a great, great hidden gem for me. Very good. What about you, mate? We'll give it a listen. Mm. Well, um, slightly different. A more contemporary album, actually, uh, from 2022 um, by a band called Larkin Poe, um, who consist of two sisters, uh, Rebecca and Megan Lovell. Uh, been going since 2010. A lot of, I can hear a lot of our listeners saying, have you only just discovered them? <laughs> They're great. And I, and I appreciate that, because literally I have only just discovered them. And um, my hidden gem for this episode is a 2022 album called Blood Harmony. Now, you could classify this album as Roots Rock, apparently, which is another form of rock. We invented Sunday morning rock, of course, as you know. 
few episodes ago. But this is Roots Rock, and it's well worth a, well worth a, a listen. It's really good. I mean, beautiful singing between the sisters, um, and you know songs like "Jaw Off My Mind" and the the, the title track, track "Blood Harmony," "Kick the Blues," and so on. Um, check it out. Uh, it's a really good album. And what got me into Larkin Poe was um, I came across a cover on uh, YouTube of them doing a kind of an acapella, well, kind of semi-acapella acoustic version of um, a Pat Benatar song called We Belong. So if you get a chance to check that out, it's absolutely beautiful. And they just complement each other just amazingly. So um, I, for one, will be listening to more Larkin Poe in future. But for now, check out Blood Harmony by Larkin Poe. Great recommendation, mate. And they're even better live. Hmm. They're fabulous live band. Um, I, I've I've been lucky enough to see them. I think they're actually touring the UK. Um, if they're not in the uh, if they're not touring the UK in the next few weeks, um, they'll certainly be back around in twenty twenty four. Um, great band and quite rocky, quite rocky live as well too. Yeah, fabulous. Good shout. Thank you. So it brings us to your um, unsung hero. You well. Hinting. I, it's it's you're getting two for one in this episode because the the reason the real reason Pete Townsend's album came onto my orbit uh, that for this month was when you actually listen to who does the drumming um, on the lead off track on White City, which is the track "Give Blood." It is Simon Phillips. So Simon Phillips. Um, plays the drums on it and and, he, and he's always on YouTube and he's doing clinics etc but when you look at who Simon Phillips has played with and he's the most loveliest man unassuming guy whenever whenever he's interviewed you know he's just you know he's just goes about his business and he's a fabulous drummer but when you look at who you know who Simon has played with he's played with Gary Moore and we know how hard Gary Moore was on drummers. Um, he's pl- he played in with Michael Schenker in the Michael Schenker group. Um, I think he's he's more renowned for being a session player because I know he played he, he played a lot of the early sessions for MSG, for example. But he he played with Bernie Marsden, John Lord, um, famously uh, obviously played with Pete Townsend, and then he became the touring drummer. Um, for the Who when they reunited in 1989, um, but whilst he was re- we was working with Jeff Beck, um, uh, Jeff Beck uh, finished up the tour when Jeff Picaro sadly died. Um, who was the legendary drummer for Toto, the only the only man on the team sheet for Steve Lukather was Simon Phillips. So Simon Phillips was offered the uh, gig for Toto and he stayed with Toto from 1992 to 2014. Absolutely amazing drummer. Um, For any of the drummers in our audience, uh, if you know Simon, Simon's one of these drummers who plays open-handedly. So he actually plays with, uh, if he's, as a, as a he, he basically plays his snare, he plays his hi-hat with his left hand and his snare with his right, and he plays open-handed, and he's just, he's fabulous drummer, absolutely fabulous. So my my unsung hero uh, is probably the session drummer to the stars is Mr. Simon Phillips. That's a, that's a great one, yeah. Because he's one of, those, one of those players that popped up on loads and loads of albums, but um, it was, uh, you know, in a way almost unheard of. Um, as you say, the kind of session musicians, session musician in a way, and as you said, you know, a whole range of different uh, artists and styles he's played on. That's a good shout, right? Very good. So, I believe that's it. Episode fifty-three done. Boom in the bag. What do you think? Do you think it's done now? I think it's done. Yeah, it's good fun though, wasn't it? Did it you was. tell that? <laughs> Just checking. I'm still here. I'm still awake. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, me too, just about. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Check us out on all the usual podcasting platforms and, of course, on Scotland Rocks Radio.
for now thanks for actually listening take care of yourself we'll uh, catch up with you soon see you mate Cheers. take bye. care keep rocking bye bye Those about a pod we salute you is a mainly Rogers production.